Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Fiona Bennett. And I'm Michael Schaefer. Hello Michael, Happy New Year. Hi Fee, Happy New Year to you too. We can still say it. Yeah, we can still say it. But does it mean anything? Of course. Of course it does. New beginnings, Fiona. I like the opportunity of a new year. I know, I know. You can kind of, you know, you reflect on the old one and then you go, right, what do I want to take into the new one? It's a bit of a reset moment. I feel reset, Fiona. I'm ready to go. Oh, that's good. That's good. You've just said everything I needed to hear. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Trying to uh, kickstart my exercise regime. (laughs) I've bought a kettlebell. Oh, my goodness me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very glad this is an audio experience for people and we don't have to sort of suggest you do a little demonstration. God, no. No, no one needs to see that. No. I could barely walk the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I'm impressed. That's good going. On it like a bonnet, as they say. Let's see how long it lasts, shall we? I wonder if I'll still be kettlebelling when we do this next month, Fiona. Well, I'll I'll be here to check. (laughs) It's really nice to be back. It's nice to be back with another episode. I I, I listened to quite a lot before picking this one out, Fee, but it was just, I remember this was our very first conversation of the day when we were at the National Centre for Writing in Norwich last month. We began our day with this conversation. Yeah, I can't even think of what the word would be to summarise the feeling I had. I I think it was something of being transported, which is almost a hint towards the poem. (laughs) Oh, we should stop getting teasy now, shouldn't we, Michael? Well, I will say it's a Thomas Hardy poem. And, of course, Thomas Hardy, I I think, much more well-known for his novels. Mm. I don't think I'd ever come across a Thomas Hardy poem, in fact, Fee. Well, it's interesting you should say that, Michael, because, in fact... Only just before Christmas, I was in a uh, running a very lovely kind of a workshop event, a kind of poetry reading soiree, shall we say, and introducing people to poems. And um, I had a Thomas Hardy in the in the mix, not this one, another one. And um, it raised a bit of a ooh moment when I mentioned the Thomas the prospect of a Thomas Hardy poem. And I, not not from everybody, and, and understandably, I do understand that response as well. I think because of two things. I think because of the weight of sadness that there often is um, in Hardy's work, in the novels and in the poems. And also, sadly, as is often the case, beaten into submission by relentless bad education. I was avoiding the phrase, but, you know, mm. as we know. The reverse is also true, that he's also probably been the door through which somebody walked as a result of a brilliant teacher. But the poems, I think, yeah, I just think they... Funnily, I said doorway, because I think they are like doors into little moments that may often appear an incidental thing, and they're not. They're life-changing moments, or they're moments of, you know, deep... Shift, And I think, for me, the sadness, which is, as I said, very often there, there's an honesty in the confrontation with that sadness, which is a, which is a kind of liberation. And um, 
certainly a kind of energy for me and also the beauty of the poetry is pretty shockingly good and always immensely vivid. Well, I think all of those things are, are true about the poem that we've got today. So you'll be hearing myself and Fiona talking about On the Departure Platform by Thomas Hardy, the poem that's been a friend to Jill. Great. So will you give it a read for us then? Okay, yeah. so I have to take my glasses off now. Okay, that's fine. The other I know. Okay. <laughs> we kissed at the barrier and passing through she left me and moment by moment got smaller and smaller until, to my view, she was but a spot, a wee white spot of muslin fluff that down the diminishing platform bore through hustling crowds of gentle and rough to the carriage door. Under the lamplight's fitful glows, behind dark groups from far and near, whose interests were apart from ours, she would disappear, then show again, till I ceased to see that flexible form, that nebulous white, and she who was more than my life to me had vanished quite. We have penned new plans since that fair, fond day, and in season she will appear again, perhaps in the same soft white array, but never as then. And why, young man, must eternally fly a joy, your repeat, if you love her well? Oh, friend, not happens twice thus. Why, I cannot tell. Oh, wow. Thank That's you. fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us when you first met this poem. I can't actually remember, but I think it was in my 40s when I began a PhD and Hardy became incredibly important to me and this poem and some other poems he wrote about the railways because he was travelling in between London and the West Country all his life. You know, so he had this sort of life in London with the metropolitan elite, which he felt pretty uncomfortable with, actually. And then he would return to Dorset where he grew up and he played the fiddle and country pubs and anyway in my mind I think I because my parents were absolutely <laughs> and so London for me represented my father and I've always sort of been my, a father's daughter more and my mother was the west country and so I would travel up and down on that railway regularly and Thomas Hardy Really, I'd not read his poetry. I'd read all his novels, but I, I love his poetry. And I particularly love this kind of poem because it seems to me a very modern poem. So that was how I started to look at these poems. And, and I was thinking, you know, I'm somebody who still moves between London and Norwich now, actually. But of course, I haven't got on a train during this whole period. And suddenly trains are scary today, you know, and... And I love trains. So, yeah. And actually, you know, the love of my mother is in there somewhere. But uh, as I say, I always was sort of closer to my father, really. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So it was in your 40s. Did you say? Well, into my 40s because I did my PhD at Birkbeck in London. It gave me a lot of time and space. And I wrote about a Victorian poet, actually, uh, Adelaide Proctor, who also had a difficult relationship with her mother and a close relationship with her father. <laughs> okay. 
so then it took me really until I'd got my PhD in writing about other people's poems to actually start writing my own. And that became a really profound experience. Wonderful, so that wonderful. that's sort of how I started writing poetry at the same time as I was reading Hardy's poems for the first time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think a lot of people obviously come to the poetry second because the novels are so huge and famous, aren't they? And, exactly, and, yes, um, exactly. But um, the poems are, are, are really mind-blowing and, and this one I didn't know. Um, so it's, it's wonderful to be introduced to it today. Yes, you do, yeah, absolutely. And some, I mean, there, there aren't so many poems, actually. T.S. Eliot hugely admired Hardy. You know, people don't tend to think of Hardy and T.S. Eliot, but T.S. Eliot saw him as a modern, you know, because mm-hmm. Hardy dies in 1928. So he is a modern as well as being Victorian. And I think it's his, at its best, his poetry can be almost modernist, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't realise Thomas Hardy had this connection with the railways. Mm. Totally, because I think for me, it's, it is about the new sort of railways, this sudden, you know, metropolitan scene and kind of hustling crowds and and how trains in the English imagination, I think, are very nostalgic. You know, the sort of innocence of meeting or seeing somebody off on the train. It is nostalgic and there is a, there is a romance about the railways, especially, you know, the, the steam trains as it was yeah. in, in this yeah. poem. Um and and that coupled with the nostalgia for a for a person who's left or a moment that's left and can't be recaptured, I suppose. Is that how it is for you? That thing of something. Uh, yes, that can't, yeah. I mean, it's you know. so good to talk with you. I have to say, it's, uh, I was very nervous this morning. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, actually, as you asked me that, I'm only beginning to realise that actually. I, when you were speaking, I was seeing my mother because I would always be visiting and then it would be bloody difficult visits. <laughs> and, but, you know, a lot of love there. And then seeing my mum on, the, on the, uh, the platform, you know, waving goodbye in a very sort of brave way, which absolutely covered up just how unhappy she was. So um, it used to break my heart, actually. And uh, so... Uh, yeah. Oh God. Um, sorry. Sorry. That's. No, sorry. Don't I didn't know that was going to be coming. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but also a lot of hope, really, because my mother and I did continue attempting to have an easier relationship. So we were we were were committed actually, and 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 you know that her arrival in London, which she hated, you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> she was a country girl. She was very much, you know, growing up in Thomas Hardy country. Uh, she was, you know, farming and, you know, but she would every so often visit me in London sort of with gritted teeth. And then I'd meet her, say, on the train. And it was, uh, I actually, I'm only realising as I speak with you that this is what it might be about too for me. But also a very modern poem really about, I mean, actually this a later collection of Hardy's is called Moments of Vision. So I think this is this poem to me is very much a moment of vision, a, a moment, you know, that dissolves, really. Yeah, and I sort of love Hardy, but I kind of, you know, he was a very troubled man, I think, but... I don't know. I, I just feel very close to him, really, in some way. Mm, that's interesting. What do you think that's about? I think it is about my mother. I, I remember reading uh, one summer when I was about 
probably 17. We went on a very unsuccessful holiday in Dorset. And uh, we were all sort of crammed into this cottage with my parents sort of hating each other. (laughs) Two little ones, you know. And I think uh, for me, it was an escape. And I just literally, I can remember it. I just sort of lay on my bed a lot of the time reading Thomas Hardy's novels. I read all his novels, one after the other. And I was escaping into his novel while we were actually in the West countries. Mm. And of course, because Thomas Hardy and his wife had, you know, eventually a ghastly relation, which my parents did. And I actually visited that one of the last visits I made with my mum before she died was Max Gate, which he built himself where he uh, lived, lucky him, on the ground floor, getting on with his writing. And his Emma, his wife, lived up in the upstairs quarters. And they just virtually never spoke. And it's a hideous story. And interestingly, when we went there, I was saying, oh, it's so sad, isn't it, Mum? But she didn't really answer, and she she was very subdued, and I suddenly realised, oh, my goodness, she's really identifying with that marriage. Sorry, I've... No, 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 don't. <laughs> I didn't don't actually notice. anticipate this. No, no, no. I thought it was going to be, going to be like a lecture. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 we don't, we don't do that. I asked about what you think it was about, this feeling of closeness to Hardy, because I have that feeling too, for, I'm sure for entirely different reasons to yours. Was it? Was there something about the the way that he was writing about emotional experience? Yes, yeah. I, I loved the writing, and I loved being immersed in the Dorset landscapes. That I loved that. I think he's a wonderful novelist, and I also like the way he attempts to explore uh, the psyches of women. Uh, I mean, not not obviously not entirely successfully, but his women tend to be very strong. And he even, you know, in Tess, goes as far as to explore uh, their sexuality. And uh, I think that really touched me. And also the sort of sense, though, of doom, you know, that you know, here was I sort of really having no faith in my parents ever being able to sort of mend their relationship. So I think I actually, at that age, I rather liked the, <laughs> the, the gloom. And there is, a, I think, there is a very compelling quality to his novels, you know. Even if you, even if you know, yeah, this probably won't end well. His style sort of keeps pushing you on, and and he writes a great plot. I think, you know, his plots are excellent. Mm. You get so much insight, don't you, through the pain? That's the thing. That's the payoff, yeah. right? Yeah. There's never anything one-dimensional with him. So this is this is what fascinates me about this poem. Is it's it's kind of multi-dimensional which I guess is the essence of what he's trying to talk about. There's a sort of concrete condition of space and then there's this sort of traffic of time in in that space. Oh, yes. And there yes. are these two figures. And then there's an additional perspective of a conversation so outside of the scene at I'm the interested end. interested in that, someone appearing at the end. Yes. Yeah. What do you make of that last verse, Jill? Well, I think that for me, that's Hardy himself. And Thomas Hardy is somebody who constantly, he, his poems are difficult to date because he, he's forever looking back and then forward and then back again. And for me, that's his older self uh, talking to his young self, saying, oh, for goodness sake, young man, you know, it's, um, yeah, it'll happen again. It's fine. Don't sort of make so much of it, really. Mm. And uh, that he's talking to himself. It's almost like you get the sense of Hardy is sort of standing looking on at his poem, really. Because I think at root, he's actually a very lonely man, you know, despite all his, you know, he had masses of friends and supporters. But he actually, at the end of the day, I find him 
in the railway poems where he feels very alone. And uh, one critic described him as an in-between writer. And so I've sort of taken that literally, sort of in between, you know, London and the West Country. And that actually, it's like people who leave there. My ex-husband was Irish and he moved with me to London. And like so many migrants, he... Um, you know, you never actually, after you've made that kind of move, and if you, if you return, it's no longer the same, and you don't ever quite fit in. So you're sort of, you're in between places, really. Mm. So, uh, and that's what I've always felt about my my own work, actually. It's a brilliant poem. It's wonderful, isn't it? I'm finding myself sort of, my eyes are going down here because I keep coming back to the poem. I'm being drawn back to it, actually. Yes, yes, yes. Which is Hardy's writing in general, I think. You know, the voice is very clear, isn't it? And, you, and you're saying, come on, you know, come with me. You know? And because he's giving you this sense of movement with the train as well, I think it's almost like, come and, are you going to jump on board, you know, um, reader? There's this sort of juxtaposition all the time, isn't there? You know, of the the hustling crowds of gentle and rough, and then he's yes. got the lamplight and the dark groups, and and he has um, her vanishing and then appearing, and all, all the time he's doing that in such a clever way. It's um, mm, mm. kind of incredible. I just sort of think this is fascinating. Under the lamplight's fitful glowers, behind dark groups from far and near, whose interests were apart from ours, she would disappear. That that third line is absolutely genius, isn't it? I think it's extraordinary, yeah. And... uh... And I think that in that third stanza, there's a kind of, you know, you could see this as an impressionist painting, actually. Yes, you know. absolutely. And also that actually, because he writes in such simple, spare language, which some critics sort of take issue with, because they think he's not sophisticated. And I sort of think, no, no, no. <laughs> he probably wouldn't like that word, sophisticated, because actually he's he's got something that is far deeper. Mm. The layers are so are so deep, aren't they? And I think that's what's so admirable in the craft. And you're so right to reference painting, I think, as well. He's very... He's cinematic, isn't he? It put me in mind of Brief Encounter. Mm. Yeah, um, yes, yes. Uh, and there is this incredible thing where he's managed to kind of conjure up a nostalgia for the railway. But the railway was very young. It was in 1909. It was in its infancy, but it's already kind of... That's yeah, and, you know, really, it's only in the late night. You, you get the railways coming into some, you know, some Dickens novels have the railways. They come in a bit, but not really as major sort of places. And then by the late 19th century, when the underground network has also been laid, suddenly you begin to get much more city-based poetry and also but even then you know a lot of the late 19th century poets were sort of you know flanners wandering around London sort of drinking absinthe you know whereas uh, Thomas Hardy is kind of much more engaged with the reality of the world I think. I think he does have the kind of music and the rhythm of the train in this. I mean, it sort yes, of prefigures yes. Betjeman, I suppose, doesn't it? But it's absolutely got that, even though it's not in itself a journey poem, but a, a goodbye poem, I suppose. Mm. But um, it's very much in it, isn't it, the rhythm? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, right from the beginning, that sort of, there's so much sibilance in the poem, you know, with, and we kissed 
you know, and all this steam. And then that sort of vanishing point, you know, and then you can actually imagine being on the train, I think. And, and because it jogs along, doesn't it? Like the train does. Yeah, there's a lot of alliteration going on as well with it, isn't there? Yes. That flexible form and the... Uh... Yes, moment by moment, smaller and smaller. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the, yeah. rhythmically, it's all there, isn't it? Yeah. And then we penned new plans, so yes. you've got the alliteration yes. in a nice, really long line. It's the longest line, I think. But as if, you know, as he sees her leaving. It's unexpected, that penultimate verse, or it was to me, narratively. We have penned new plans mm. since that fair fight. I thought, I thought, oh, she's gone. You know, I thought it was end of a love affair. Oh, did you? Yeah, until that verse. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, she's gone. Ah. But then I understood, okay, no, it's just that that moment of us being at that point has gone. Yes. But it does kind of somehow carry the sadness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though it's not finished, it's not over, that moment, that bit of time will never happen again, that Mm. that very specific thing. It will never be the same, yeah. We always ask towards the end of considering the poem that somebody brought along with them, what kind of a friend would you say this is to you? Yeah, I haven't thought of that one. Uh, well, actually, I think it's a poet friend. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's a poet friend. I'm just thinking of this on the spot, actually. And that actually, the woman I'm seeing off is a fellow poet, maybe, oh. you know, and, uh, and and that actually we've had our meeting and it may have been r- romantic. Um, it may even not have been, but there's a romance about it. And that actually, as soon as we're alone again, we get on with writing some new plans. Poems. <laughs> and for me, I'm somebody who loves, you know, it's probably too much, but I, you know, all the writers I've taught, I kind of tend to have, sort of form this rather personal relationship with them, you know, and they become a friend, actually, and uh, some kind of friend to me. Jill, thank you for just kind of sharing so honestly and it's so clear, you know, the, the layers uh, with, with which this, this poem is so sort of intrinsically linked to you uh, and the, for, for the way that you've revealed that to us. Just thank you. It's really incredible. Thank you. I, it's re- I had never dreamt this would, it would be like this. Thomas Hardy on the departure platform. We kissed at the barrier, and passing through she left me, and moment by moment got smaller and smaller, until to my view she was but a spot, a wee white spot of muslin fluff that down the diminishing platform bore through hustling crowds of gentle and rough to the carriage door. Under the lamplight's fitful glowers, behind dark groups from far and near, whose interests were apart from ours, she would disappear. Then show again till I ceased to see that flexible form, that nebulous white, and she, who was more than my life to me, had vanished quite.
We have penned new plans since that fair, fond day, and in season she will appear again, perhaps in the same soft white array, but never as then. And why, young man, must eternally fly a joy you'll repeat if you love her well? Oh, friend, naught happens twice thus. Why? I cannot tell. That was Michael with the gift reading at the end there. Our thanks to Jill for that wonderful conversation and indeed for her giving us permission to share it with all of you. And uh, of course our thanks to the National Centre for Writing in Norwich for hosting us so beautifully. We had a terrific time and there are several really great conversations that we had whilst we were in that lovely little cottage. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, Michael, how sometimes the f you actually remember, even though, in fact, we were online with Jill, but even so, we were from the cottage and I've sort of got that physical memory of, of the day, in a way, there, because of that lovely hosting. Now, it has occurred to me, Michael, that we are rather, you know, uh, smashing it with the great big poets of the past. We've had a little run of them, haven't we? Coleridge, Whitman, Hardy... Who will be next? Mm. We cannot reveal. But also just to say that it was brought to my attention and it was in my mind as it happened that thing I got a bit muddled around Coleridge and Whitman. Oh. In the last episode, we got into a conversation about the potential influence. And in the episode, we implied rather, uh, what's the word, anachronistically, that, that Coleridge might have been influenced by Whitman. But actually, of course... It would, if it were the case, be the other way on. Coleridge being previous to Whitman. Gotcha. And in fact, what happened in my head, which is interesting, is that I think that there is a connection there, but the connection is actually that Whitman had certainly read Coleridge. And as I understood it from what I read, felt that Coleridge was too much in the mystical realm and not enough confronting the human the you know the need to change the world in the human and social sphere which of course Whitman was keen and crucial and hugely involved in doing I'm sure Coleridge was too in his own way but not quite so so anyway all this is to say apologies for the confusion of history in my mind at the time <laughs> and thanks to the great and dear friend Charlie who alerted me to the errors of my ways. Very good. Thank you, Charlie. Um, we do have to watch out for Fiona on these matters. So um, <laughs> much appreciate your careful listening. Do you know what? I'm, ne I'm not trying to make an excuse myself, Michael, mm -hmm. but it is true that I do, and it's interesting because we're talking about big poets of the past here and reactions to them and so on, is that actually I often feel, and I think it's part of the poetry exchange, I feel them, of course, it's immensely important to know and think about the historical context of our poets and the cultural context of our poets. 
and they also live in this kind of contemporaneous realm mm. which is you know that you sort of sometimes do find it hard to kind of pick up and I think that's really true of Hardy that even for all the kind of what would be considered in a sense perhaps old-fashioned way of speaking and the old-fashioned verseness of it the confrontation with the human experience is so is so modern is so is so could be now could be me saying that about a train journey which i think is part of what jill brought to the conversation yeah absolutely yeah we're able to shift effortlessly from century to century through poems aren't we it's Mm. but yeah that the human condition often runs through just as truthfully and just as with just as much relevance we should probably leave it there for today fee we'll be back with you next month with more poems as friends until then thank you for listening